tonight we're going to do some things that some of you have practiced a lot and it's part of your study life, but if you have not generally practiced this, this is a probably one of the most important lessons that we do uh, to really learn how to see the details of a text. Uh, we've talked a lot about the importance of observation skills and how we use observation skills. And let's just begin by how, why this is so important. Uh, what every church needs is obviously a greater depth of knowledge of God's Word. Uh, with that greater depth of knowledge, that's going to create a whole lot of uh, great benefits and more excitement, more preparation, more participation in classes. Uh, in fact, I was mentioning to some of the young people recently that our Bible classes, like tonight, uh, Sunday morning, ought to be used more in an evangelistic way than they are. Uh, those are the kinds of things that you would really like to see visitors come to rather than the Sunday morning worship. <laughs> Sunday morning worship, that's great, everything, but oftentimes I'm not preaching on something that is really super for a, a brand new Bible student or something like that. But in the Bible classes, they're able to get a feel of who you are. And the most important thing that goes on in the Bible class is everybody prepared. And when we're doing text, which we most of the time do, that preparation involves what we're going to do tonight. A lot of Christians are so wedded to the way they grew up, given a booklet or 20 questions or something like this, and they go through and simply look at the question, go over here, find the answer from the Bible, fill in the question, and go from that. And they're never discovering the Scriptures for themselves. We started this whole series by pointing out self-discovery, finding out for yourself, discovering what the Scripture says is the most important thing you do. That's what gives you joy. That's what gives you excitement. That's what causes you to search for more gold nuggets. Uh, when you're just filling out somebody's questions, that person is guiding you to find what they already found. It's not really giving you what you need to discover for yourself. These textual uh, approaches are important. Back in the old days, I would take my Bible, flip it upside down on a copy machine of the text I wanted to, to give, and then get a copy of it. Then I'd cut that out to uh, make it, and then make another copy so I had margins and all this. Now you can just stick it on your computer, bring it off, you know, copy it, or even better, you can buy a Bible that is uh, already got wide margins and, and even gaps between the lines and things like that so that you can actually have a Bible where you're just going to go through and use each page as a textual worksheet. Uh, so this is, a, this is a critically important way to study. Every time I'm doing a text, uh, studying a text, or preaching or teaching a text, this is where I begin, is that kind of discovery before anything else. And it's fun, and it's something that anybody can do, and it's very important for the fact of the way our classes will will cause others to get excited. I, I use this in a neighborhood study. And people have come to the knowledge of the truth simply by sitting there and having to discover a text and then turn around. I will never, this has happened twice to me, where uh, a lady, after we went over the, just had 15 minutes to find everything you can in the text, uh, 
this happened twice where a lady said, you know, it's really funny, but uh, you don't read this text, you almost get the idea that baptism saves you. I mean, what, what is up with that? Isn't that funny that that's there? <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> really uh, a crack up, she saw it for herself. How much better than if I tried to point it out? So this is, this is just such a, a critical thing to do. This is, is how parents and grandparents can share excitement of the scriptures with their children. Children need to learn, and they can do this by the time they're in fourth grade or whatever, learn to read a text and just, just tell me what you saw there that you thought was really cool. Just pick things out that you thought was interesting. And, and that's really important. Christians, of course, then begin, as they get excited about Scripture, it causes us to want to share that excitement with friends and get them involved as well. Here's what James Gray said. One, one's own original and independent study of a broad, the broad pattern of a book in the Bible, imperfect as the conclusions may be, is as of far more value to the student than the most perfect outline obtained someone else. Again, uh, firsthand, careful discovery. Please remember our proper procedure in study. First, what does it say? Saturate yourself as much as possible with everything that you can see in the text before you start making interpretations. Then what did it, does it mean? That is, what does it mean in the original context, the original time? Now how can I apply that and relate it to me? And then how am I going to tell this to others? That's always your, your procedure there. <clears throat> I like what Joseph Getty said. He said, you should stress to all your pupils the importance of working on paper for what is written on paper releases the mind to fasten its tension on something more. That's what you want to do. Release your mind to find more. If you note and mark what you have seen, then you release your mind to find more and add to what you've seen. If you don't use a pencil, you'll keep forgetting what you saw and you won't be adding to it. You'll just see independent things. So this is critical. Uh, if, if I could get everybody in this congregation to prepare for our Bible classes this way, uh, it would be unreal uh, how great the Bible classes would be. Remember God's point? I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, knowledge of God, not burnt offerings. We're not just trying to find rules. We're trying to discover God and draw ourselves closer to Him. So here's what you do with, the, with this worksheet. We're going to have about 12 minutes or so to uh, look at this in silence, and, and you discover all you can and then share that with us. So just note everything that you can see that's just interesting to you. So it's like anybody can do that, right? You can find something that's interesting to you. Look for wows. Look for things that are new to your mind that you hadn't seen before. Look for structure, progression of thought. As you go further, you'll start seeing connections that are made. Uh, words, phrases, and certainly write down questions that you have about the text. When you see something, you go, I don't know what that means. Good. Write it down. Bring it up. Here's something in the text that I... I was kind of shrugging my shoulders. I don't, I don't know what that means. And certainly find eventually primary messages in the text. And most important, this is just like a great piece of chocolate cake. Just uh, enjoy. And when you do that, you're going to be doing well. All right, I'm going to do this with you. And like I said, 10, uh, 12 to 13, 14 minutes there. And then we'll talk about, this is too short a time to do this, but it will be enough for us to get an idea. All right, very good. Go.
Okay, hate to interrupt your fun because there's so much more to uh, see in the text than what we have time to do. But this gives us a start. So here's here's way uh, here's here's what we want to do, and I I hope everybody here you found something you would like to share. That's what makes this good. Uh, I, I've done this particular text. Uh, probably a hundred times with classes, and every time I do it with a class, somebody points something out that I didn't see before. So there's always so much more to see, and everybody participating and saying, here's what I saw, uh, is great. And that's the cool thing. It's hard to be wrong when you say, here's what I saw. <laughs> it's just like, here's what I saw. This is pretty cool in the text. So let's start with anybody, and let's, uh, let's get everybody uh, uh, share the things that you thought were uh, really cool uh, in the text. Okay, anybody want to start us off? Danny. Well, after I read this two or three times, went through it, I divided this into two sections with a bunch of subsections on it. And I'll just give you the first two is uh, verses 1 through 25. Lessons. Which uh, text are you doing? Hebrews 10, 19. Okay, so you said verses 1 through. 19, you mean? 19 okay. 25. 25. Yeah, good. And then I, I took the rest of the verses, 26 through 31, as warnings. Good, good. Perfect, perfect. There's a real clear delineation between the two sections. From 19 through 25, it's like, Woohoo! And from 26 to 39, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> so you have that clear contrast between the two sections, and that's a lot of, there's a lot of great messages in that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I label that. You notice the, in verse 19, he says, since we have, and then verse 21 says, and since we have. So I just labeled that, uh, that those 19 through 25 is, here's what we have. Look what we have. But then in uh, 26 through 31, it's like, look what we can lose. <laughs> look where we, where we can go if we don't uh, continue uh, steadfastly. So, uh, cool, cool divided section. Excellent observation. What else? Did you mention that since we have, but there's also a response to that um, with the repetition, let us then, let us draw near, let us come fast, let us consider to one another. So it's not only we have these things, but we need to do something with it. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that interesting, too, of how God uh, uses His blessing to motivate us to do something with it? Instead of going, all right, I gave you a blessing. I'm going to whack you if you don't do something. No. <laughs> he says, look what you have. And since you have this, then he goes to the salad text. Let us, let us, let us. You know, there you are. Let us do these things. Yeah, good. So, so there is all kinds of Jewish images that are throughout this. And that would be just one thing. To, you, we could spend quite a bit of time just noticing the images that are used here. Like you're entering the holy places. 
it's a picture of the most holy place in the temple and and you have all the priest and and the the heart sprinkled clean so you have all these jewish images that come out of the old testament and obviously to completely understand that we'll have to know something about tabernacle worship that went in the old testament etc in fact if we had been reading through hebrews he had spent quite a bit of time explaining some of those things in chapter 9 which would set this up so excellent observation good Yeah. How much more? Yeah. And that kind of drove it home. Like, oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. The, the great contrast. And how many people have you ever known who, who've said, uh, oh yeah, well in the Old Testament, you know, God was that mean God, you know, swacking people and striking them dead. And uh, in the New Testament, he's nice. Well, not according to this text. In the New Testament, since we've been given so much more, he says, uh, in under the law of Moses, you die how? without mercy. Then he goes, how much worse punishment do you think you'll get if you reject Jesus? Who? <laughs> so there's something worse than dying without, dying without mercy. Great text, by the way, hate to deviate. Great text for Jehovah's Witness friends who think when evil people die, they're just dead like the dog rover. You know, they're just dead all over. Uh, no, you got to work. Now you went from the frying pan into the fire. You know, you, it's far, far worse. Okay. Pardon? Lesser to the greater. Yeah, the lesser to the greater. Excellent, Austin. Just kind of structurally, it seems every point that he makes it has three points. You've got let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider, and then we go on sing deliberately. Either one, no longer make a sacrifice. There's fearful expectation and a fear. The one is trampled under the feet, profane the blood, and outrages the spirit. And then vengeance is mine, the Lord will judge. It's a fearful thing. It's like all our three points that take through the. All the times I've looked at this text, there's another one. I've never seen that before. Got all the triplets that you see through here. Excellent, excellent. Danny? This is why preachers have three points in their <laughs> 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 Oh! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Wayne. I thought I'd just point that out. Yeah, just point that out. Yeah, that's right. All the we's and us's and one another's in here, it's talking to brothers. Just the, the second word in it says this is talking to Christians. And for people who believe that you can't lose your salvation, verse 26 <laughs> yeah. is the is the male. Yeah. And it says, if we go on sin, and that includes the right. Yeah, that's right. So it, this, is a, this is a really great point because um, when we think of grace, you know, we, we really exult in that. We think, you know, that's just fantastic. The great grace God has given us. In fact, the major message that you see in Hebrews is a superior emphasis on the grace of God and what he's provided so that you have confidence to any of the holy places and have this great high priest and you have all these things. And yet right in the middle of a passage where he's just exalting the idea of what God has done, and the grace he's done so that you can dwell with him and everything, he turns around and talks about how quickly you could lose this if you do what? 
In fact, what is the details? What, what would you do to, so that there's no more sacrifice for sins? Yeah. Go, I, I love how ESV puts that. Go on sinning deliberately. So there's a continuous nature of it. There's a rebellious nature of it. And it is just a continuous go on sinning willfully. I had my first Bible study with a guy this morning. And, and he was thinking, well, we're just, it's, uh, he's, never, he's not a Christian. And he, he just said, well, it, it's hopeless. You know, I see all the things that have to be done, but I can't do it. And it's just hopeless. And I said, no, no, no. He's like, people are, people are getting killed. God's just whacking people. And look at all those people in the wilderness. He says, just makes me sick to my stomach that 600,000 people just died in the wilderness. And they, you know, the whole life was just spent 40 years in the wilderness and they just die. He says, that's just awful. And I went, time out. They died because they rebelled. He said, they what? He said, it wasn't just... They missed the mark here and there, and they weren't perfect. You won't read about that. You'll read about them rebelling, and God says, do this, and they say no. Oh, that one point alone, after an hour and a half of study, is the most important thing I got across this guy, because he now has hope. He can say, oh, that's something. Well, that's what you see in this text. You got hope, but boy, you can lose that hope if you just go on sinning deliberately, and it's a major message. Good observation. Ken? That's exactly where it's connected. That's right. When Jesus said that he who blasphemes the Spirit can never have forgiveness, he is referring to this kind of thing. The Holy Spirit has come, delivered the words of God. They were delivered after Jesus left and went back to heaven. And he's telling those Jews, you got one more chance. The Holy Spirit's going to be sent back. He's going to deliver this. And if you rebel against that, you cannot have forgiveness. Because that's the only hope. It's not like... You did something wrong, and then you go, well, I can't even repent now. and get No, that's not the idea. You have completely rejected your only hope of salvation. That's it. So, good. Teresa. And that's always been God's message. If you'll just listen to me, I will get you there. But if you're going to be a stubborn mule, you are not going to get there. It's pretty simple. Same thing with our children. Man, can I bless you if you will simply trust me and do as I ask. If you don't, it's not going to go well for you. And uh, that's why I had five sons and I only have four left. You can say something, Rebecca. And, and we're, we're actually matching what he does. He's faithful, you be faithful. He'll be faithful to you, you be faithful. And, uh, and, and he's going to bring us there. He's, he's going to keep us going that way. Good, Austin. Kind of on that note, we tend to flip this passage the other way around and, and make it like, look at all this fear, fear, fear. <laughs> yeah. Thus, be more faithful, do better, do better, do better. 
but that's never how he lines it up. It's always, this is what you have already, this is what he has already done for you. And then the fear is, why would you give that? I'm going to lose it. Why would you yeah. give it? Like, throw that away. And, and that is absolutely, and those of you who've heard my lessons on Hebrews, those are, that's absolutely thematic throughout Hebrews. He's always saying, look what you have. Why would you want to lose that? So it's always be afraid lest you lose what he's already provided you. So good, Mara. To that point too, confidence and full assurance. Oh. I'm so bold in my mind. Since we have, we have confidence to enter because of Jesus, through his flesh, that we have a true heart of full assurance and faith. Let us do this and not neglect. Uh, and then the if we go sending. Yeah. Really, this is what will happen. <clears throat> but that first part. First part, there's everything's there. That's right. Now, look, look what's, uh, tell me what's so important about confidence to enter the holy places. What, what is, you, you talk about the confidence, but Look at the whole phrase, confidence to enter the holy places. What's so significant about that? Yeah, exactly. Who goes into the most holy place in the Old Testament? Uh, once a year, high priest, got blood with him, trembling, and bells on his, uh, <laughs> on his skirt, <laughs> and a rope around him so they can drag him out if he goofs up. You know, this is, it's, it's, it's great, great fear, and nobody can go in there. And now he says, come on in. And now he's not talking about a physical structure, most holy place. He is talking about the actual holy place in heaven. You can now enter. And he's not saying you can enter on the day of judgment. He's saying you can enter now. Go right on in and go before the throne. Good, Ken. Yeah, I, was, I paused at that word. Uh, and Fellowship, salvation, grace, protection, yeah. transaction as mediator for us, all those things. Good. Collect together. That's right. And when you're in the most holy place with the Lord, uh, what else? You, you have everything you, you could possibly have. Yeah, Chip. Yeah, you're all around some things. So the two things that I highlighted that are farther apart, verse 19 is... One and in verse 29 is the other. So 10 verses apart. There's this reference to by the blood of Jesus and the second half, profane the blood. It's as if the writer is saying, you have this great opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord through the blood of Jesus, but you turn that away because apparently yeah. God and therefore and, right. And here is Jesus shedding his blood in order for you to enter and you just basically profane the blood. Just like toss it on the ground. It's, it's no good. Woof. You know, something else. Good. Good observation. Yeah. To add on to that, he also mentions his flesh up in verse 20 and then in 22, heart sprinkled clean. And he parallels that in 29 where he talks about the Son of God and the Spirit, which does the work of the sprinkling clean. So Good. it's kind of parallel on either end. You see this day drawing here, and the Lord will judge his people. So they both end with... 
Good. I had not seen that before. That's uh, that's really. Really good, yeah. So, so again, you, all the good things you see in that first half are then contrasted with losing all of these same things and, and the disdain and the pro, profaning that you, that's done in the, in the second half. Uh, so, yeah, great, uh, great parallels there. Very good. All right, what else? This is the whole thing of Hebrews, really, but I like Good. So here's a new and living way to enter uh, through the curtain. Of course, that's the separation between holy and most holy. And then now his flesh is there. And of course, that always reminds us of when Jesus died on the cross. What happened to the curtain? torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, completely opening that up because now Jesus is standing there and through him you can now enter. And so there's that, that great uh, picture as well. Good. What else? Some details here. This is good, Melissa. Uh, I have that at the end of the contrast. We can enter by the new and living way. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, I like that. Yeah, you see, here's this great new and living way to enter into the presence of God. And if you go on sinning willfully, then you fall into his hands. Uh, which would you like? <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's a great, uh, great contrast. Very good. All right. What else do you guys see? Beat you over the head. It has no meaning if it's just 25. That's right. But when you really work through 19 through 24, you get to, to 25 and you're like, well, duh. Why, why, would we, why would that even be a question? Yeah, and not only that, what kind of assembly is he talking about? What kind of assembly is this that he's referring to? What's going on in it? I would imagine the memorial portion. Yeah. Well, but, but no, look, look more carefully. What kind, he actually tells you what's going on in this assembly. Yeah, you're stirring one another up to love and good works. In verse 25, you're encouraging one another. These are assemblies that are encouraging one another and stirring one another up. Something that everybody needs to note is you will read, in fact, I'm working on a sermon on this, but there are numerous types of Christian assemblies in the first century. There's not just one kind. Here is a kind of Christian assembly that is different than other Christian assemblies that we might read about. There's Christian assemblies where Paul just reports his journeys and what happened. There's Christian assemblies where they come together and debate and talk about differences that they have. There's Christian assemblies that come together for the purpose of stirring one another up to love and good works. I think we had one of those on Sunday night just recently, did we not? Somebody says, where do you get authority for that? Hebrews 10, 25, your favorite verse. <laughs> this is an assembly where we stir one another up to love and good works. That's not an assembly where everybody's quiet and one person talks. We're stirring one another up to love and good works. 
Isn't that interesting? So that's one of the things I, re I, I remember when I was just a young preacher, Homer Haley, preaching a sermon on, I think he said, five different kinds of assemblies in the New Testament. And I never thought about that. It was pretty cool. Danny, did you, were you, were you raise your hand? Yeah, I was just going to say that you can't do any of this if you're not in the assembly. Yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. Very simple point, but boy, is that just screaming. You cannot do this if you're not in the assembly. Exa excellent. That's right. Uh, Louis. So that's, that's a great thing. Already we also see one of the reasons then, and this is definitely one of the reasons, the Hebrew Christians were slipping back. They were not strong like they were. They were about to fall away. And here's one of the reasons. They began to have a habit of not assembling for those times in which they were to be stirring one another up to love and good works and encouraging one another. Um, that also brings up the question about the day <laughs> there, and, and that would be something else you'd want to study. There's options here, day of judgment, destruction of Jerusalem. Some would say first day of the week. <laughs> But you need to figure out, well, which day are we talking about here? Probably with these Hebrew Christians, it's most likely talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. That day you could see coming. As Louis said, judgment day into time, you can't see coming. You don't know when that's going to be. But certainly destruction of Jerusalem. God, Jesus had given a number of signals of when that was going to take place and, and the soonness of it, that it would happen before uh, many of those people had, had died of that generation. So you see that. Um, what, do you, what do you see in verse 22? I haven't mentioned some things in verse 22. Contrast of hearts, good. What else? What happens to your heart? Sprinkled clean. What's the picture from the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah. Back in Exodus 24, there's an animal offered. Half the blood is poured out at the base of the altar. That blood is what God touches. That's his side of it. Now he takes the other half of the blood. He puts it in the bucket. He takes hyssop. He dips it in hyssop. He says, everybody, come on, walk on by. And as they're walking by, he dips that in the hyssop and he goes, and it just splatters. Everybody is splattered with blood all the way throughout the rest of the wilderness. Everybody's walking around with blood-stained garments. And what blood has now stained our hearts? Blood of Christ. So we have been, our, our hearts, our conscience have been sprinkled clean with blood that is far greater than the blood of an animal and should always be uh, something that encourages us to recognize 
what the greatness of what Christ has done for us. So there, and then the bodies washed with pure water. And Louis mentioned this. There's that picture of baptism. So you have the washing, just like Israel had going through the Red Sea. And you also have the blood sprinkling them, both from the Passover picture and the idea of the animal. I just love that he calls it an evil conscience. Yeah. It's like from Adam, you know, there's this, there's this idea of guilt. Yeah. I got to flee from God. And right. it was never God's design for us to have it. Yeah. You know, we can be cleansed from it now. That's good. Yeah. And, and when you're cleansed from it, if you go back to 10 verse 1 and 2, now there's no more consciousness of sin. Now, it's, it's not like you don't remember you sin or something like this, but there's no more guilt that is going to hold on year after year with the, you know, yearly sacrifice and things like that. So we're out of time, but let me, let me point this out. I want you to notice something. You spent 10 minutes on this text, 12 minutes on this text at most. This was a much richer Bible class than we normally have. And the reason is because everybody got ready. So get ready for the class. It enriches everything, and we all learn from it. Thank you. We're going to practice some more of these things. We're going to practice another survey chart, uh, hoping to do that next week so we can get that down pat a little better, and we'll probably do another practice of these as well. But great job, and thank you. And you can replace pencils in those boxes there if you don't mind.